Welcome to Pastors Confidential. We're Michelle and Eric Waters. Two pastors. One podcast. Here's what we're talking about today. Much rather do that. Hello. Good morning. Good morning, my little love. How are you? I am good. 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 Uh, We have a full house today because it's fall break. Yep. Yep. Well, not a full house. We don't have three children here, but we have three children here. Right. Yeah, that, that was Did confusing. that make sense? Yeah, no, <laughs> three of our ch- three children are not here, and three children are there here. There <laughs> you go. We don't have six children. Yep. So, yep. Uh, and and the dog and, and, and the as, dog is being as our crazy. listeners know the dog is always crazy, right? Squirrely. Well, he's squirrely when everybody's mm-hmm. home and he wants to go out and take mini walks and whatnot. He's yep. already been on two walks today. Yep. But he could go for a third. So it's been a little while since we had the chance to do the podcast mm-hmm. because we were up in West Point last week. Yes, we were, which I wrote about on the podcast email. So you probably saw some pictures. And yes, we had a great time. Mm -hmm. We loved seeing Sam in his new environment and meeting his friends, meeting Mm -hmm. his roommate, meeting some of their parents, um, watching him play football. It was wonderful. Mm-hmm. It really, it really was fantastic to see it, and I was delighted that you got the chance to see the campus. Mm-hmm. It is a uh, very stunning campus. Oh my goodness, very it's stunning. amazing! Yeah. And today he is playing in the big stadium. So the prep school right. has their own stadium um, and their own whole little campus there on West Point. And so we saw him play in the prep school stadium. Today he's playing in Mikey Stadium, right? The big West Point stadium because the, uh, the prep school is playing Army JV. Yeah, yeah. So that'll be a big deal. It'll be yes. Army versus Army, but. Uh, but well, that's big because, you know, presumably Sam, Sam is lining up against the guys that he'll be competing with for uh, positions in the next couple of years. Yeah, exactly. So, so, very so cool. that'll be fun. They, they play cool. this afternoon. And, um, yeah, the yeah. rest, the other kids are home until, well, Wednesday they go back to school. And so yeah. it's a beautiful day in Texas. It is. It's literally like 50 degrees or something. Oh, it's Maybe fantastic. 60. I don't know, but it's amazing. And I think it's because of the solar eclipse. Uh. You see, I think what happened is that the solar eclipse has caused climate change. Oh, And this is on the front end of a new ice age. You heard it here yep, first. That's what I'm going with. <laughs> okay, let's, mm-hmm. let's not do that. Let's not All tackle right. that. But oh. we are tackling something almost as... Not controversial, but almost as interesting today yeah. with the apocrypha and not the pseudopigrapha. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and so this is, uh, you know, Crossways is a, a wonderful, wonderful course. Uh, it's very historically minded, and there's one chapter which covers like 40-something books mm. called the apocrypha and the pseudopigrapha. Now, of course, during the, the, the class, I had an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have nearly that time here. So I'm just going to drop the pseudepigrapha and we'll just look at the apocrypha because that's the one that really concerns us. Okay, well, let's just really quick say what it is, just, okay. the, just so that the pseudepigrapha is the writings that are somebody else used the name, right? Yeah. So they're based on a false name. Right, and so it's, it's a pen name. Someone it's uses a pen a name, pen name Thank to you. kind of write their own... Uh, to write their own opinions yeah. and the famous ones there's there's a bunch of of books who are uh, sub, which claim to be written by Enoch yes. so going all the way back in the book of Genesis uh, even before the flood there was a righteous man named Enoch he walked with the Lord and then he was not because God took him yes so he never died is. so uh, only he and Elijah were translated directly into heaven without mm-hmm. dying and so therefore Enoch becomes this this ripe figure for saying, right. well, then he comes back down and tells us what heaven is all about. Right. So we got a bunch of writings like that. Okay. So we're not uh, going to get into that not, because there's so many. And if you're really interested, just go ahead and do a Google search. Yeah. But just, you know, uh, gird up your loins if you do, because it's weird. Yeah. So. Weird stuff. But the Apocrypha, now that, that's, uh, that's something that I think a lot of people know about and are mm-hmm. very curious about. And so the Apocrypha, the, these are... 
These are the books that the Catholics have in their Bible and we don't. So, uh, you know, the, the, we in the Protestants and Catholic Church, we have the same 27 books of the New Testament. We have the same 39 books of the Old Testament. But then the Catholics have an additional 12 or 15 books that they kind of tack on to the end of the Old Testament. Wait, why is it 12 or 15? Because I couldn't remember. Oh, <laughs> maybe some Catholics have 12 and no, I just, some I, have 15. I just couldn't remember, yeah. I think it's 12. Okay, we'll go with 12. Yes. Okay. So they have an, uh, they, they have an additional 12 books, which they include in their Old Testament, which we do not include in ours. And those disputed books are called the Apocrypha. Okay. Okay. And it really comes down to two things. <clears throat> You know what? So the story of why the Catholics have extra books and we do not comes down to location and language. Okay. So the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, but by the time we are approaching uh, Jesus and the apostles, people are no longer speaking Hebrew, uh, they're speaking Greek. Because, you know, Alexander the Great has come in and he's Hellenized the world. Everybody now speaks Greek. Correct. Uh, the world over. Uh, so, so Jews living outside the Holy Land, and at this point in history, a majority of Jews didn't live outside the Holy Land in places like Egypt, uh, mm-hmm. Babylon, Rome. Right. They they no longer speak Greek, and so the the Old Testament, their Torah, is they can't read it. No, you know, they no longer speak Hebrew. I'm sorry, they no longer speak Hebrew. Okay, right? thank you. Yes. And so the, the, they they can't read their own scriptures. Right. So a, a a group of Jewish rabbis. It's very important to remember this is a Jewish project, right? Jewish rabbis in Alexandria, Egypt. They translate the Old Testament from uh, Hebrew into Greek around the year 200 BC. Mm-hmm. And that translation is called the Septuagint. So if you're ever right. reading your Old Testament and there's a little footnote that says LXX mm-hmm. or SEPT, Sept, uh, that refers to the Septuagint, which means 70, because uh, the, the idea is that there are 70 scholars who translated this book. Right. So they translate the, the Old Testament into Greek uh, in Alexandria, Egypt. Now, you know, the, the um, of course, Jewish culture, the, the, the rabbis, you know, are centered up in Jerusalem. You have this other group who's down here in Egypt. Uh, and they, the, the group that's, uh, that's down in Egypt says, well, you know, in addition to these books of the Old Testament, we have these other books that we think are very edifying um, and okay. really help our religious and devotional life. Okay. And so they kind of included those uh, along with the Old Testament books, they included those other books um, as books that they found, you know, edifying, useful, and that were and that were used in their devotional life. And then, uh, and a good analogy might be, for example, you know, and I have a copy of the Lutheran Study Bible, mm-hmm. uh, and the Lutheran Study Bible includes Martin Luther's Small Catechism. Right. Well, you know, I mean, Martin Luther's Small Catechism—it's not scripture. No. But we find it edifying. We find it religious. We find it very good to read, and so we, you know, we include it in the Bible. Right. It's kind of the sim- similar, mm-hmm. you know, similar situation. Right. right. And do they do these particular Jews who kept those writings? Do they think of it as part of the canon, or do they think of it as just extra edifying material? It kind of depends okay. on which scholars you write. Okay. Um, but it, I think the consensus is. That uh, that most scholars believe that these these extra books were used in uh, you know were referenced in sermons, used in devotional lives, used okay. in private readings. Occasionally, would show up in the lectionary, which is the rotation yep. of um, you know lessons assigned for a Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. Would occasionally show up in in the in the um, in the lectionary, but uh, you know in the grand scheme of things, they weren't. They, they, there wasn't nearly so much emphasis on these other books 
as on you know Genesis, Deuteronomy, Exodus, right? Leviticus, you know, so they're 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 clearly kind of a second tier, right? So that that's kind of the situation okay. around 200 BC. Okay. Uh, and then by the time you get to uh, you know Jesus and the apostles, so Jesus and the apostles and Paul, uh, they they really provoke a crisis among the Jews, namely you know who's in and who's out, because now all of a sudden you have all of these people who claim to be Jews, who claim to be followers of Jesus the Messiah, claiming all kinds of things about this Jesus of Nazareth, which Orthodox Jews uh, say there's you know that's not us, okay. I, you know we're not them, that we don't believe the same thing they do. Uh, so there's this crisis about who's in and who's out. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, you have the catastrophic crisis uh, of the Romans come and destroy the, the city of Jerusalem uh, in the year 70 mm-hmm. and tear the temple to the ground. Right. So, so in, in light of those two crises, um, Jewish rabbis got together in the city of Jamnia yep. on the coast of, uh, of Palestine. They got together in the city of Jamnia and they said, okay, boys, you know, what's in and what's, what's out? out? What's in and what's out? And what they really came down to, the, the criteria that they came down to was uh, language and location. Mm-hmm. So books that were written in Hebrew are in. Mm-hmm. Books that are written only in Greek are Only out. in Greek. Not just translated right, to Greek, but first written, but written in Greek. Only in Greek. They're out. out. Okay. Right? Uh, and then location. You know, uh, books that are accepted by the Jewish community around the world mm-hmm. are in. Books that are accepted by the Jewish community only in certain pockets or geographic okay. locations right. Are out right. And so using those two, uh, the rabbis defined the thirty-nine books that are in old, our Old Testament today. Okay, right? so, got it. Now while that's all going on, oh my Meanwhile, the Christian Church is starting to grow. Mm-hmm. The Christian Church grows, 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 and grows. And of course, they don't worry about Hebrew. You know, they're 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 Greek speakers, and then they become Latin speakers. Right. So they just kind of continue. They carry with them. Um, the the Greek version, which has these extra books, mm-hmm. you get to this the 1500s to the Reformation. Martin Luther sits down and he translates the Bible, uh, and he goes back for the for the Old Testament. He goes back to the original Greek. I'm sorry, no. back to the original Hebrew. There you go. He goes back to the original Hebrew. Yes, uh, and he follows the reasoning and the logic of those rabbis in Jamnia, saying, "Well, you know, uh, the Jews are God's chosen people." Mm-hmm. They spoke Hebrew, so we'll, we'll go with the yes, Hebrew. Yes, makes sense. Uh, and so Martin Luther said, okay, well, then what do I do with these other books? Mm-hmm. And uh, he kind of, he set them aside. So in some in some versions of his of the Luther Bible, they appear in the middle. Mm-hmm. Kind of got the Old Testament, the Apocrypha, and the New Testament. In some versions, they're an appendix at the end. Uh, but he sets them aside. And, and in many versions, they're just not there yeah, at all. And, and then over time, yes, they just get they dropped just get out dropped. entirely. Okay. Right. But in the first generation. Okay. Uh, and then he you know, he prefaces them and he says, you know, these are are the so-called apocryphal books. They're not written in uh, in Hebrew, but you know they've been used in the church for a long time. Read them, but recognize that they're not the same level as as the Old Testament. Okay. And one of the reasons that happens, right? And of course, now the the, the Roman Catholics say, well, you know, who does this Luther think he is? You know, we've we've this is the version of the Old Testament we've had for fifteen hundred years. So sure. We're not changing things now. So that's kind of the, the start of the division between the two. And then the, the battle lines become really drawn because in these extra books, in these apocryphal books, uh, you can find the roots for a lot of the practices that Catholics and oh. Protestants fought over. Sure. So, for example, you know, prayer for the dead. Okay. Um, in medieval Catholic piety, someone dies, they lived a good life, but not a great life. And so if you... 
Um, you know, if you give money to have masses said for their souls, well, that can decrease their time uh, in purgatory so that they get quicker to heaven, right? I see. And there's no, no place in the Bible you can find that. But you can kind of build that out of some of these apocryphal books. I see. Which talk about praying for the dead that they might go to heaven. Okay. Right? Um, and then so too, the idea of, you know, how are we made right by God? Is it through faith alone? Or is it by faith and works? Mm -hmm. And in the apocryphal books, they're really clear that, yeah, you know, if you do good works, then you can atone for your sin um, and you'll get your way into heaven. Well, there you go. Um, angels. Yes. You know, there's, there's a lot of angels who are appear in these apocryphal books and are named. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the Old Testament talks about Michael and Gabriel. Um, but then you have other angels like Raphael, yes, uh, who appear in these apocryphal books, and you know the, these these angels play a very strong role as as guardians, as intercessors, as carrying the the prayers of the saints up to God and okay. having to bring God's answer back down. Okay, uh, and again, that that was kind of a battle line in the Reformation. You know, do we pray right to God or do we pray to the saints and the angels and ask them to take our prayers? Right. To God? And so, because these apocryphal books had these justifications for those practices mm. protestants were eager to get rid of them catholics were eager to hold on to it and that's why to this day the catholics have more books in their bible than we do okay and by the way i did google it and we were both wrong it is 14 oh well, it is 14 good. books in the apocrypha hmm. well thank god for yes. google thank god yes. for google no I, mean, I don't know if we could trust that that was the first site that popped up but yeah. anyways um okay so that's very interesting yeah. yeah so it's interesting and then um and I, in class, I wanted to highlight two books in particular, two of these apocryphal books in particular, mm -hmm. which have some cultural legs on them. Okay. One is the book of Judith. Uh, and so I, I lift up the book of Judith simply because many of you probably know a Judith. Um, you know, I know, I can think of several Judiths in our church. We have a little girl Judith in we our church. We have a little church, girl yeah. Judith, mm -hmm. right? I mean, so there's, it's still, to this day, it's a very, very common name. Well, not anymore. It was. Well, it was. Yes, but it I mean, was, you know, yes. it's, I mean it's, it's not like, you know, Myrtle or something. I mean, you know, <laughs> But uh, but it's it's a common name, Judith, right? Yes, I think mm -hmm. I have like there's like we probably have like ten Judies at the church at mm -hmm. least. I only know one that's called Judith, but yes. Uh, and so uh, <laughs> the, the book of Judith tells the story of a, a woman named uh, Judith. Uh, her town is under attack by the Assyrian king, and so she, you know, she puts on her best clothes and she you know seduces him, and in a moment of weakness she cuts off his head. Oh. Uh, and then saves her town from the Assyrians. So that's the story of Judith. Uh, wow. Oh, cool story. Okay. Uh, and because it has all of these elements of, you know, romance and seduction and violence and drama and, you know, uh, all this kind of stuff, uh, it was very popular in the Renaissance. And so you see yes. all kinds of yes. Renaissance art yes. uh, of, of this scene of Judith mm -hmm. holding the Assyrian king's uh, head. Oh, gosh. Uh, and then another story is Tobit. So mm -hmm. Tobit is the one who gives us the angel Raphael. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, Raphael is a name that's very familiar to us. Because uh, of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Well, yes, because the, for, for some of us. <laughs> yes, yes. If you have boys, you got that right, reference. If yeah. not, anyways, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles mm -hmm. were based on the angels. But go ahead. Sorry about that. No, that's fine. Okay. Uh, and so I just wanted to bring that out. That the Tobit is very popular, again, because of, uh, because of the angel Raphael. Yeah. And his role as an intercessor. <clears throat> I think it's a great story because uh, Tobit is a, a pious Jew uh, who um, his, his thing in life is he helps the poor. And especially he helps the poor who can't afford their own burial. Mm. Uh, he pays for their burial. And by doing this, he you know kind of wins God's mercy for himself. Uh, when doing that one day, he looks up and a bird uh, poops in his eye. So he goes blind. And then his son 
has to, uh, his son goes on a journey. On his way, the son meets the angel Raphael. They stop by a river. They catch a fish. The <laughs> angel tells him to gut the fish and hold on to the guts. They, they continue their journey. Uh, he falls, he meets a beautiful woman, falls in love with her. With uh, the fish guts in the pocket. With, with the fish guts in his pocket, right. Um, meets a beautiful woman, he falls in love with her, but there's also a demon who's fallen in love with a woman oh. and has killed the woman's uh, seven um, grooms. So, you know, seven times now she's been married, but on the wedding night before the marriage can be consummated, the demon oh, comes in and kills them. goodness. So the eighth time's the charm. You know, they, they get married. They go in to consummate the, the, the marriage. Uh, the demon shows up, and the angel tells um, tells this young man to throw some of the fish guts on the fire, and the demon is driven away by the stench. Mm. So they get married. Interesting. They come back, uh, and the angel says, "Hey, you know, with the remaining fish guts in your in your pocket there, put them in your father's eye, and he will see again." And lo and behold, that's exactly what happens. Right, and there, there's that picture, the famous art picture of the eye, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Didn't you show that in class? Yeah, and so there's a, a Bernardo. Is yes. the name of the. Um, this is the name of the, the Renaissance artist. Mm. Uh, and again, and so you, you, it's an interesting story, right? I mean, it's clearly a different level story than what we see in the Bible. It's an mm-hmm. interesting story. Right. Uh, and you can see why in the Renaissance, you know, the, the artists just loved to depict this because there's so much interesting stuff so going on. So much, yeah. So, so those would be two examples of apocryphal books that had, um, yeah. that had some cultural legs to yes. them. Yes. Yeah. And then I wanted to also make a reference here to the book of Jude. Yes, so. that was a new that was a new learning for me. That the King book of Jude. Jude actually quotes the book of Jude, which is canonical, mm-hmm. meaning it is in our Bible. Yeah. Um, quotes two of these apocryphal books, mm-hmm. uh, which is surprising. Yeah, yeah. And so the book of Jude, it's you know, if you blink, you miss it. It's only about yeah, it's, about a, yeah. it's, it's, it's so not short, even it's a cha- only one yeah, chapter. Yeah, it's one chapter. Um, and it's a very odd book. It's right before the book of Revelation. You know, one of those books that you know, it's kind of like the minor prophets of the New Testament. I mean, people don't really read about it or talk mm-hmm. about it much. Uh, but there are, in two places here in the book of Jude, it does quote um, sort of these apocryphal and pseudepigraphical books. Yes. Uh, and so let me see if I can find it. One well, is, verse 9 is one. Yep. And it says, what does it say? Verse 9. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Right. Which appears nowhere in the Old Testament. No. Absolutely nowhere at all. But that does appear in the book of Enoch, which is one of these, you know, pseudepigraphical books. No, I think that one appears in Testament of Moses. Oh, Testament of Moses. Yes. I'm sorry. That yes. does appear in Testament that of Moses. That one appears in Testament of Moses. The other one, 14 and 15, okay. is go. from the first book of Enoch. Yeah, and so let me read that okay. 14, 14 and 15. 15. And it was about these. This is uh, Jude, verse 14. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. Wow. It's um, a lot of ungodliness. Yeah, a lot of ungodliness. <laughs> and, and so it's quoting something that, again, doesn't appear in the Old Testament, yes. but it does appear in one of these books called First Enoch. Okay. Uh, and so our Catholic brothers and sisters would say, well, look at that, right? So if Scripture quotes these books, right. if the apostles saw fit to quote these books, well, then why can't we exactly. use them too? Uh, which is a pretty strong argument. Yes, you know? I think so. But, and then the Protestants will respond and they'll say, well, you know, there's a couple places where the Apostle Paul 
quotes mm-hmm. uh, pagan poets. Yes, he does. So he says, uh, "For in him we live and move and has our being," as one of your own, of, um, as one of your, own, your poets own poets says. Poets and then you know, Cretans are always uh, filthy liars, as another one of his of your poets says. Mm-hmm. So there's these two places where Paul quotes Greek pagan poets. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean we're going to you know accept them as scriptures. So no, he's quoting. No. So that's kind of the back and forth. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. It's a little different because those are totally outside the tradition, but mm-hmm. but still, I get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I so get the it. Apocrypha and pseudepigrapha, very interesting. Uh, and as you know, when we had a lot more time in Crossways, yeah, uh, I went through how um, because these books were written between the close of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New, even if they're not in the Bible for us Protestants, even if they're not in the Bible, they they kind of tell you what people were thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was going on in their minds, what was going on in the culture, what the worldview was, what the issues were in the time between the Old and New Testaments. Right. Very good. Yeah, it's very interesting stuff. Okay, so for next week, you're not going to be there because you're going to be at a meeting in Dallas. Mark Lynn will be teaching, but what are they supposed to be reading? And and in fact, I probably won't be there either because Matthew's or somebody, Johnny's got a game. Yes, and so next week is, uh, it's Crossways Unit 40, which is called Messianic Hopes. And so Mark is asking people to read Isaiah chapter 11. Yes, Isaiah, Isaiah 11. 11. We talked about this a little bit last night at Cross, uh, not Crossways, mm-hmm. Theology on Tap. We did. That right? was a good time. The messianic, the that was very fun. The, how, when the messianic hope mm-hmm. was developed. So if you want to know that, you need to come to Crossways on Wednesday. Or we go. might talk about it next week. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. Bye-bye. Carry on.